Hello, and welcome to the Once Again Podcast. We are your hosts, Ashley and Jason. In this episode, we will be looking at the 1959 film, Sleeping Beauty. In this episode, we won't be doing a, a deep analysis of the film, or giving a bunch of behind-the-scenes facts. Actually, that's not really true in this episode, because this is one of my favorites, so I, I dived into a couple rabbit holes. But rather, giving our impressions of the overall film and the songs from the film. We'll also be giving a score to the film and ranking the songs. So grab some popcorn, sit back, and enjoy the episode. Sleeping Beauty is a 1959 American animated musical fantasy film produced by Walt Disney, based on the 1697 fairy tale Sleeping Beauty or Little Briar Rose by Charles Perlet. It's also sometimes titled Sleeping Beauty in the Woods, La Belle uh, uh, Bois Dormant in French, or Dorromschen in German, which I believe translates to Briar Rose in German. Yeah. Um, and it is the 16th Disney animated feature film in the Disney animated canon. It was released to theaters on January 29th, 1959 by Buena Vista Distribution. You know, it's funny too, both this and the last one, I haven't been able to find anything about where the premieres were. I, I, I kind of miss talking about the premieres in the movies, yeah. but eh, say levy. The film's supervising director was Clyde Giomini, with sequence directors Les Clark, Eric Larson, and Wolfgang Reithman, with additional story work by Joe Rinaldi, Winston Hibbler, Bill Peet, Ted Sears, Ralph Wright, and Milt Banta. And I have a note here saying that Eric Larson did not animate any of the characters for the film. Instead, he directed the entire forest sequence, which stretches from Briar Rose, a.k.a. Aurora, wandering through the forest with her animal friends all the way to Princess Aurora, renaming, uh, renamed Briar Rose, running back home promising Philip they will meet again later in the evening. This was the only time Larson directed a sequence or a film during his tenure at the Walt Disney Productions. At Walt Disney Productions, not the Walt Disney Productions, I'm not 90. Uh, <laughs> the film's musical score and songs featuring the work of the Gurnick Symphony Orchestra under the direction of George Bruns, are arrangements or adaptations of a number of the 1890 Sleeping Beauty Ballet by uh, Chaya... Mm. Char- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you want to... Yeah, I'm, I'm sk- I know it's Pitor, uh, is, is the first one. Tchaikovsky. Tchaikovsky, thank you. Uh, it, those are crazy Russians, man, <laughs> and their names. Uh, I think he's Russian, but... Um, Sleeping Beauty was the first animated film to be uh, photographed in Super Technerma 70 widescreen process, as well as the second full-length animated feature film to be filmed in anamorphic widescreen, allowing Disney, uh, uh, excuse me, following Disney's Lady and the Tramp four years earlier. The film was presented in Super Technerma 70, and six-channel stereograph sound in the first-run engagements. I basically that's I talked about you off-screen that they filmed the movie before they for reference yeah. of how characters would move and ever how how real humans would move in certain scenes. <laughs> yeah, they, they've done it for other ones too. Actually, I don't remember if we discussed this, but in Peter Pan, a lot of people think that Tinkerbell was based off of Marilyn Monroe, 
and that's not true at all. I forget the actress's name, but it was based off the actress that they move that they used for movements of how Tinkerbell yeah. would move and everything. And in just a few moments, I'm going to mention, you know, not only the actors that voiced, but possibly the actors that were the motion capture, not motion capture, but the references. Sleeping Beauty is also the last animated feature produced by Walt Disney based on a fairy tale. The studio would not produce another until The Little Mermaid in 1989, well after Disney's death in 1966. Interesting. I didn't think about it that way. Yeah. It is also the last Cell animated feature from Disney. Uh, to be inked by hand before the studio switched to using the Xeniograph process. And basically think of using a laser printer rather than an ink printer. Uh, that That's how yeah. I could summarize it the best. Sleeping Beauty spent nearly the entire 1950s in production. The story work began in 1951. Voices were recorded in 53. Animation took from 53 to 58. And the musical score... Uh, was recorded in 58 as well. There are rumors that the production cost and time mixed uh, with the critical reception and a smaller-than-expected box office caused Walt Disney to lose interest in animated feature films and move towards the live-action films of the late 1950s and early 1960s. However, these are just that, rumors. They're not confirmed. In 2019, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Interesting. Yeah. The budget for the film was $6 million, or just over $59 million today, and the box office was $51.6 million, or roughly... Five hundred ten million dollars today. Now I know that sounds like a great number, but because it was in production for so long and the film had to be redone several times, it wasn't the big earning that they were hoping yeah. for. This is also I saw I found this note, but I didn't know if it was true, so I didn't include it um, in the last recording that we did. But Lady and the Tramp was the last Disney movie written by multiple writers, and it said every Disney movie going forward was written by one writer. Uh, I don't know if that's actually true, but. It is for Sleeping Beauty. Mm. Uh, the story was by Erdman Penner, and it was based on Sleeping Beauty by Charles uh, Puritt. I forget if I said it that way before, but you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> it was produced by Walt Disney. It was edited by Roy M. Buer Jr. and Donald Holliday. The music is by George Bruins. The production company was Walt Disney Productions, and it was distributed by Buena Vista Distribution. The runtime is 75 minutes, and the film stars Mary Costa as Princess Aurora. Maybe I won't mention the performance capture artists. It's a lot to go through. Uh, Bill Bill Shirley as Prince Philip. Uh, I will mention this one because Eleanor, uh, oddly, was the voice actress, but she was also one of the performance capture people for Maleficent. Uh, Verna Felton as Flora. Barbara Jo Allen as Fauna. Uh, Barbara Luddy as Meriwether, Taylor Holmes as King Stephen, Verna Felton also voiced Queen Leah, or Queen Lee, not really, we don't get her name in the film, uh, Bill Thompson voiced King Herbert, and Maleficent's goons were voiced by Bobby Armsbury, Candy Candido, and Pinto Colvig. Uh, we don't have the voice actor for Harold, sadly. And Dallas Mc, uh, McKinnon voiced 
uh, both the owl and Diablo, uh, Maleficent's little raven guy, and which we don't get his name in the film either. It's only outside sources that we know that it's Diablo. And Marvin Miller was the voice of the narrator. So let's dive into the plot. We have the opening title sequence. Uh, it features those classic Disney title cards with, I put, quote-unquote, fancy letters. And we have the song, Once Upon a Dream, sung by a chorus. And I wrote down that it is merely two lines from the actual song that will come later in the film. And I gave it a 5 out of 10. It's fine, but not as good as the what is to come. Yeah, that's, what I, that's pretty much mine. I have 6 out of 10, but you're correct. It's just not as good as what's come. It's kind of just, it's there. Okay. And then my next note is we have a book opening. Yay! <laughs> and I have a note about that, actually. The fairy tale book used in the beginning of the movie was real and was handmade by, I, oh God, Everned Earl, the man responsible for the entire look and feel of the movie. It was restored in 2008 and is displayed sometimes during public events. So it was actually a real book. I like that. I'd like to see the real book in person. Me too. So we move on to Princess Aurora, and she is named after the Roman goddess of the dawn because she fills her her father. She fills her father and mother's lives with with sunshine. Everyone was invited to the christening ceremony. Well, not everyone. And baby Aurora is betrothed to the young Prince Philip, the son of her dad. Which, when I was making my notes, it would not let me have the double L in Philip in this one spot, and everywhere else it would. It kept weird. Yeah, it kept correcting it to the one L here. I don't know why, but the son of her dad's friend, who rules the neighboring king kingdom, King Hubert. Stefan and Hubert wanted to unite their king, uh, the respective kingdoms, through a future marriage between their respective children. And I wrote down here that the animation in the opening scene is strange. The subjects of the kingdom are drawn differently from the named characters in the film, and they look like the characters out of the book, whereas the named characters look like animated characters in the traditional Disney sense. (laughs) Um, I also wrote down, are King Hubert and the king from Cinderella related? Because they look exactly the same except for some (gasps) facial hair differences. Yeah, I never noticed that before, but watching these in such a close time period. I just want to say I love both the kings so much in this film. (laughs) They're some of my favorite characters. They are good. And I also love Prince Philip's face when he looks at baby Aurora. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He just has like this disgusted, confused look. Now, granted, the fairies hadn't shown up and given her the gift of beauty yet. Obviously. and, And some babies, especially right after they're born, which presumably this would only be a few days after she was born, are not the prettiest thing to look at. So uh, maybe maybe Prince Philip wasn't was justified in the face that he made. And we have the song here, Hail to Princess Aurora, sung by a chorus. It's fine, but I'm not a big fan of these chorus songs in the classic Disney films. Five out of ten. You already know I hate all these weird chorus songs. And yeah. this, this film is littered with them, to be honest, which brings it down for me a lot. Three out of ten. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is not going to be a good movie for his songs. All right. Sorry, Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> um, at the princess's christening, the royal Her- herald announces the arrival of the three good fairies who came to bless her. Flora in red, Fauna in green, and Merryweather in blue. Flora gives, the ba- uh, gives her the gift of beauty, which is described in a song as gold of sunshine in her hair and lips that shame the red, red rose. Fauna gives her the gift of song, 
so that she may sing like a like a nightingale. And we have here the song, The Gifts of Beauty and Song. It's sung by a chorus, just a few lines set to music. And I wrote down that the animation is cool, but I gave it a 4 out of 10. I gave it a 3 out of 10. It's, okay. It's okay, but... Yeah. Not great. It doesn't do anything for me. Okay. Like, it just doesn't. Like, I get that it's just about what's going on in the film itself, but... We got better things to get to. Yes. Um, but before Meriwether can give her gift to the princess, Maleficent a wicked fairy and self-proclaimed mistress of all evil appears on the scene. Angered at not being invited to the christening, she curses Aurora to die when she pricks her finger on a spinning wheel spindle before the sun sets on her 16th birthday, leaving everyone horrified about Aurora's doomed future. And I have a note here saying that Maleficent is my favorite Disney villain. She terrified me as a child and as a teen, if I'm being honest, while playing Kingdom Hearts. And despite being truly evil, she is just awesome. And Eleanor, oddly, is perfect at uh, voicing the character. Maleficent is such a great Disney villain. I, I love her so much. Yeah. You're gonna... And yeah, I agree. Definitely terrified. Terrified of her. Yeah. Very scary. And uh, though Maleficent disappears, Flora and Fauna point out that Meriwether hasn't given her gift to Princess Aurora yet. While Maleficent's magic is far too powerful for Meriwether to undo the curse, she does use her magic to soften the curse, whereby, instead of dying, Aurora will fall into a deep sleep that will only be undone by love's first kiss. Which is so, it's so funny coming from Once Upon a Time, I always think it's true love's kiss, but all these movies have it as love's first kiss. This had it. Snow White had it as that. Like, it's just... Interesting. Yeah. Um, luckily, none of these princes and princesses kiss each other before they need to. I know, to. right? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah. See, this, this section right here is what'll get me later, is when they're like, we are not powerful enough to do anything about Maleficent. Like... Let's, let's take in that note. We'll get to it later. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, King Stefan, still fearful, orders all spinning wheels in the kingdom to be burned as a preventative. Knowing Maleficent is extremely powerful and will stop at nothing to see her curse fulfilled, least of all a quote-unquote bonfire, as the ladies, or the ladies, the fairies refer to it, the fairies take Aurora to live with them in the forest where they keep her safe from harm until she turns 16 and the curse is made void. Which, it should have been 16 and a day, in yeah. my opinion. These dumb, dumb people. Yeah. Um, Ugh. To protect her fully, they even change her name to Briar Rose to conceal her true identity. And here I have a note. I noticed that um, Meriwether made a strange-looking cookie when she made cookies out of thin air. Yeah. I did not notice, however, in my research found out that she made them in the shape of Mickey's head. They were the yeah. two ears and the head. So there's a hidden Mickey in, the, in this film. And I didn't realize, I realized that they yeah. were weird looking cookies, but I didn't realize that they were Mickey's. In the Forbidden Mountains, Maleficent berates her henchmen after realizing that they have been looking for a baby for 16 years. As a last resort, she sends her raven, who we find out from outside material is named Diablo, to look for her. Aurora grows into a very beautiful woman, with sunshine golden blonde hair, rose-red lips, violet eyes, and a beautiful singing voice. She is raised in a cottage in the forest by the fairies, whom she believes are her aunts. Now, I have this note later, but I'll just bring it up now. Between her, you know, golden hair and her violet eyes, 
do you think it's possible that Aurora is a Valerian? <laughs> Obviously. Not, not necessarily a Targaryen, because she does She has have... a dragon blood in her, too. She could probably turn into a dragon as well. well. She has to trouble That's why Melissa <laughs> wanted to take her out. <laughs> Fair enough, then. All right. But I, I just, I was like, she had, I was sitting there watching, and I was like, she has purple eyes and golden hair. <laughs> like Obviously, like... <laughs> when Melissa, Melissa and cursed her, she gave her some of that dragon blood in. Possibly. So, um, I also wrote down that something I'll give the movie Maleficent, meaning the Angelina Jolie movie credit for, is further expanding upon how the good fairies are idiots. This film kind of lightly addresses it, but they really expand upon it in that one. Yeah, Uh, We'll talk, I I, I see just in our off-recording conversation, you like Maleficent more than this, and I like this more than Maleficent, so it'll be interesting when we get there. Yeah. Um, But, on her 16th birthday... While out picking berries, Aurora sings to entertain her animal friends. Her angelic voice gains the attention of Philip, who has grown into a handsome young man and is out riding in the woods. When they meet, they instantly fall in love. And I have here the song, I Wonder, sung by Mary Costa. And I wrote down that it is a Disney princess song. The scene is to show off her beautiful voice and her friendship with woodland creatures. And Mary uh, Costa has a lovely voice, but I think if someone recorded it today and modernized it, I would enjoy it more. So I gave it a 6.5 out of 10. I gave it a 5 out of 10. I I actually drove down that I really like the vocals, that I think the vocals are great for this, but they all just sound the same in this movie. Like, Mm. every song is just the same thing for me. Yeah. And it doesn't make it exciting, which is... Well, I think that might have to do with taking the music from Chayofsky's uh, oh, definitely. Uh, ballet and working it into the movie. But no, you're, that's a fair criticism to make. And and if you enjoy it, like I do, you enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> but if you don't enjoy it, then it's going to Yeah, it you. doesn't do anything for yeah. me. Like, yeah. what I, like I would have liked to see like a nice song coming from out of like a Maleficent because I know that would have been like darker and deeper in tone and would have given something yeah. different to the movie instead of just across the board, like very choral very vocal heavy songs yeah mm. a maleficent song would have been cool you're right we don't really get disney villain songs until i think like the 80s i don't think that's like ursula stuff to be honest yeah well no we're both wrong because uh radigan in the great mouse detective sings a song um, we do and that's yeah. that's great yeah so, so we can't throw forget vincent price like that but um, i think i think uh probably rescuers even, also have villain yeah. songs I and think. the black cauldron yeah yeah but i mean corella deville is a song about the villain but it's not necessarily i think it's our first song about a villain that we get yeah i think you're right and we'll be covering that next yeah um so stay tuned folks but i have a note here saying that prince philip is definitely my favorite disney prince so far I wrote down that the prince from Snow White just stumbles on a dead body and is like, sweet. <laughs> like, um, Prince Charming from Cinderella doesn't even go looking for Cinderella. He sends the Grand Duke to do that. And Prince Philip is actually a man of action. He's out riding alone in the woods when he discovers Aurora. And spoilers, folks, he's the hero of the film. He, and I also wrote that I like how he bribes his horse, Samson, with extra oats and carrots if he investigates Aurora singing with him. Like, Disney horses are superior <laughs> horses. They are. Uh, th- that was something I watched uh, behind the scenes about the animation in this and how much work went into it. And one of the things was animating Samson. I guess one guy did all of the animation for Samson and they were like, 
oh, like all the animators were like, he did such a great job. Like, just like, he's he's got a 3D model and he's a real horse. And it, like, I was just like, okay, like if, if animation's your thing, oh, the producer's back and visiting. I think the producer will be visiting for some time in the next few weeks to come, every time we record. But moving right along, we have, we have the song here, uh, Once Upon a Dream, and it's listed as the uh, reprise, but this is the main version yeah. of it. And it's sung by Mary Costa and Bill Shirley, and I have that listed, that it's that's the real version, but it's also one of my all-time favorite Disney songs, top five, uh, top five I'd say. And it is paired with one of my all-time favorite segments, how Aurora was dancing with the owl dressed in Philip's cloak and hat and boots, and then Philip swaps out with him and starts singing with her, and I gave it a 9.5 out of 10. I do love how startled she gets when yeah. he starts singing, like, oh, yeah. a man. Mm-hmm. And the and the owl just has this cross the forest has a look on his face like I don't know it just happened. I love um, the song as well. I gave it an eight out of ten. It's not quite one of my favorites, but like top five favorites. But I definitely enjoy this song a lot. I will sometimes randomly break out into singing this song in my daily life. I felt about he's a tramp earlier, so I oh, get it. Like, okay, there you go. And I wrote down that this is one of the film's uh, iconic scenes when Briar Rose, a.k.a. Aurora, meets Prince, uh, Prince Philip. Oh, this is actually a production note that I have, not that I wrote. Um, and uh, meets Prince Philip for the first time to the tune of Once Upon a Dream, and it was referred to as Sequence 8 when it was produced. Uh, it was a particularly hard sequence to get right. Walt Disney rejected it several times and ultimately had to be done four times, almost bankrupting the studio in the process. This freaking scene. Walt Disney was a perfectionist. Oh, I he know, he I was know. many things, and you know, know some of the rumors... I'm watching, are... re-watching the Imagineering story right now, mm-hmm. and that's very heavy on the... Walt wanted perfection. Yeah. But also, he hired people who had no clue what they were doing. He was just like, you, you can build a theme park. <laughs> yeah. Spoilers! Yeah. Yes, but also no. Yeah. <laughs> So, realizing that she has to return home, Aurora flees from Philip without uh, the pair even learning each other's names. Meanwhile, while cleaning up the mess to prepare for Aurora's 16th birthday, Meriwether and Flora argue about the color of Aurora's dress, attracting the attention of Diablo, who sends the news about Aurora's discovery to Maleficent. So I wrote down here, perhaps it's nostalgia because I watched this movie an uncountable amount of times as a child, but there are certain sequences in this film that I absolutely love. And the fairies using their magic for the first time in 16 years is one of them. The way the magic makes the cake and the dress and cleans the cottage, I just love it. And Meriwether and Flora's blue-pink fight is fantastic, even if it does lead to Diablo discovering their whereabouts. And I have a... Uh, Yeah, it's the most iconic scene, I think, with the blue. Besides the Once Upon a Dream sequence. Yeah. Blue and pink fight. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have a later note about the blue-pink fight as well. I'll just mention it now. Evidently, it came from real life because the animators couldn't decide if they wanted Aurora's dress to be blue or pink. So they would argue back and forth, yeah. that it should be, and they just put it into the movie. So <clears throat> That's funny. I appreciate that. Yeah. Just make it both. <laughs> yeah. When Aurora returns, despite promising to meet him again, she is unable to return as her aunts chose that time to reveal the truth to, of her birth to her and to tell her that she is betrothed to a prince named Philip. And she uh, runs to her room heartbroken. 
neither she nor the uh, nor the fairies, knowing that Aurora's beloved and betrothed are one and the same. And I wrote down that I noticed in this segment. Oh, this is my Valerian note that Aurora is possibly a Valerian because she has the purple eyes. Meanwhile, Stefan and Hubert are having a conversation about their children's future, and Philip returns home to tell uh, Hubert about a peasant girl that he met and wishes to marry, despite his prearranged marriage to Aurora. Hubert tries to convince Philip to marry Aurora instead of the peasant girl, but fails. So I have here the song Scrumps, and it's sung by Taylor Holmes and Bill Thompson. <laughs> My first question was, what is a scrump? And I really went into researching it, and the best definition I could find, or most fitting definition I could find, was that it was a mistranslation of the word scrumpa, which means champagne or sparkling wine in Swedish. Because they're saying it while they drink. Yeah, it's a drinking song. Yeah. It's men so, getting drunk. Four yeah. out of ten. <laughs> drunk song for about men drinking. <laughs> uh, I, I further went to write on that I, this is a throwaway song, but short. Five out of ten. We know you gave it a four out of ten. <laughs> All drunk songs um, are throwaway songs. But the uh, the drunk mandolin player was, was funny in my Yo, opinion. Oh, that, that yeah. was great. Yeah. And uh, I love Prince Philip's line of saying, Father, you're living in the past. This is the 14th century. <laughs> Philip is a man ahead of his time. Um, the, I'm a man ahead of his time. He wishes to marry a peasant. That's right. The, those dirty, dirty peasants. But eh, moving right along. Uh, the fairies and Aurora return to the castle. Unfortunately, Maleficent uses her magic to lure Aurora away from her chamber and up into a tower where an, an enchanted spinning wheel awaits her. Which, like I said, if they had just waited 16 years and a day, <laughs> wouldn't have yeah, been so much. Really of... like... <laughs> yeah, they really, like... Yeah. Dummies. And my note here is creepy. Uh, in the fireplace, Maleficent. I love her dark silhouette, but bright eyes. Like, it's just a very creepy scene of her standing there before she turns into that little yeah. glowing green orb. And the fairies go searching everywhere, trying to find Aurora. But at Maleficent's hypnotic or, uh, order, Aurora touches the spindle, thereby pricking her finger. By the time the fairies arrive in the same chamber Aurora, uh, where Aurora pricked her finger, they are too late. Maleficent taunts them for their attempt to defeat her, revealing the falling princess and disappearing, uh, cackling in triumph. As had been foretold, Aurora has been put under a sleeping spell. Unwilling to break Stefan's heart about Aurora's fate, and heartbroken about their failure to protect her, the fairies place her on her bed with a red rose in her hand and cast a powerful spell on everyone in the kingdom, causing a deep sleep to fall over them until the fairies can find a way to break the curse. And the song here is Sleeping Beauty, sung by a chorus. And my note is, as I previously stated, I think a solo, solo singer performing these songs would be better than a chorus. And in truth, without the closed captioning, I'd have no idea what the lyrics were. That being said, it does have pretty lyrics and a lullaby theme. I give it a 6 out of 10. I gave it a 5 out of 10. I don't hate it as much as some of the other ones. But, you know, you already know it, that I'm not really into the choral thing. So. Yeah. The, the, it's just, this one's been better than a lot of the other ones, but it's just, it's too, I think it's just too much in this movie in particular. Agreed. And from a re remark made by a drowsy Hubert... They realize that Philip is both Aurora's beloved and the one fated to break the curse. However, they discover that the prince has been kidnapped by Maleficent and her goons to prevent him from kissing Aurora and breaking the evil fairy spell. 
So my note here is, how did Maleficent learn about Prince Philip? Diablo didn't see the interaction between him and Aurora in the forest. I guess she was just being thorough. And then I thought, or perhaps she was hidden in Stefan's castle while the fairies mentioned that Aurora wanted to meet the uh, the other boy. Yeah. So maybe she overheard that. But still, it's kind of not a plot hole necessarily, but it's just like she really wouldn't have known about Prince Philip and coming there that night to meet Aurora and everything. The good fairies sneak into Maleficent's lair to help aid Philip in escaping, arming him with a magical sword and shield. So I have a couple notes here. I wrote that I love the design of Maleficent's castle. It's imposing, dark, and creepy, just like her. And her her minions dancing around that giant green fire is a very creepy scene. And also the vision that Maleficent gave Philip, where he's old and finally gets to leave, and his horse is old and everything. Which I think that's terrifying. Like everything about it's terrifying. Mm. Well, I think that whole hundred years was mentioned as a thing to the actual uh, original story because the spell is cast and they have to wait a hundred years for the prince to arrive to kiss her yep. and wake her up. But Philip races to Stefan's castle, though Maleficent, warned by Diablo, whom Meriwether incidentally turns to stone, attempts to thwart, thwart him with his ma- with her magic at last transforming herself into a gigantic, fire-breathing dragon. And I wrote down that I think the thorns that Maleficent grows around Stefan's castle is also iconic, and the music of the scene is just fantastic. Definitely. Yeah, and her whole line of being, you know, how you face me and all the powers of hell, and she grows into the giant uh, dragon. It's just awesome. After being cornered on a cliff, Philip flings his sword and impales her, causing her to crash down in destruction. Do you have anything you'd like to say or should I finish reading this? Just keep going and I'll okay, have okay, my rant okay. in a little bit. The prince then climbs up to Aurora's chamber and removes the curse with a kiss. One by one, everyone else, including Stefan, Lee, and Hubert, awaken from their slumber. And my note here is, is Prince Philip the only Disney prince, or possibly even the only Disney character, to directly kill the antagonist of the film? not the only disney character but i think the only disney prince for sure no i mean i guess eric drives the boat into um uh ursula yeah but i guess they're they're, they're similar yeah <laughs> they're similar enough yeah. both but, impaled yeah um but i know you have some issues with this so go ahead i just we spend so much time basically saying the fairies are not like capable they don't have the magic to defeat maleficent and yet here we go they gave philip a magic sword and some stuff and now that's good enough to kill her though and like i don't believe that and like honestly i have it written down here i'm like where's the sequel to this movie where she's actually freaking alive like where is her return of the jafar return of jafar moment like she deserves that i agree because there's no way she's dead from like she got impaled as a dragon by a magic sword that the fairies that we've already established are way beneath her. Yep. Yeah. That's how she died. I don't believe that. And I think, like, you know, as a kid, you're like, but they defeated her. But, like, as an adult, I'm like, no. But, but like, we've already established the fairies are incapable of doing this. Yeah. So, I don't know. It just bothers me. I think, uh, you know, we've criticized michael eisner a lot and uh, other other disney ceos but there's a free idea for you guys uh sleeping beauty 2 where maleficent's still alive 
Um, you know, maybe she goes. Return of Maleficent. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> just give it to. Maybe she goes after uh, Philip and Aurora's daughter or something like that. You know, who knows? Yeah, she's too busy antagonizing Sora and King of Hearts, right? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, she does come back in that, though. Uh, she comes back all the time. Yeah, yeah. So moving back into the plot, a fanfare announces Aurora and Philip's arrival in the throne room, and I forget if I have this in my later notes, but um, that was actually. The original national anthem for France before mm-hmm. the the song that the music that plays there was the national anthem for France before the Napoleon revolutions. Uh-huh. Um, so it was just interesting that they the casting this movie in France, like yeah. or they put place this movie in France specifically because of that, where the former is happily reunited with their parents. Aurora then dances with Philip, each happy to learn that their uh, betrothed and their beloved are one and the same. As Meriwether and Flora argue over the dress color again, the happy couple waltzes into the clouds. And the song here is finale, parentheses, Once Upon a Dream, and it is sung by a chorus. And I wrote down, they knew uh, what song was the bread and butter of this film. While I enjoy the version that Aurora and Philip are singing the most, it is a fine way to end the film. 7.5 out of 10. I agree. It's a nice way to end the film. I gave it a 7 out of 10. I didn't hate that they ended it on the chorus like this. It felt fitting. Mm. Very well. So I'm going to move into my overall score now. Uh, With the exception of Beauty and the Beast, I think that this is the Disney princess film I watched the most as a child. I have very fond memories of this movie. And as I previously stated, Maleficent is my favorite Disney villain. The only drawback I noticed while watching the film was the strange way the subjects of the kingdom were animated at the beginning of the film. That aside, I think that this is the best Disney classic we've covered to date, and I give the movie a solid 9 out of 10. For me, I think the music obviously takes it down a level for me. It's not my favorite. Hmm. And I, like, I did not watch this film a lot as a kid. I would say I watched a lot more, like, things like 100 Red and Dalmatians, a lot of the animal-type movies that they have. So I do not think of this one as fondly. And while I love Maleficent as a villain and think she's probably the best Disney villain we've got, uh, I don't think that saves it. And I gave it a 7 out of 10. Oh. Wow. <laughs> no, it's still good. still a good score. But... I also have listed here some trivia. I don't know if I'm going to include this in the final thing, but since this is one of my favorites, I just (laughs) put it in here. The running, that should say gag, of Flora and Meriwether arguing about whether Aurora's dress should be pink or blue originated from the filmmaker's problem. I already mentioned this. Eleanor Oddly, who, uh, one of Walt Disney's favorite voice artists, most memorably as Lady Tremaine in Cinderella, initially turned the part of Maleficent down much to Disney's surprise. As it later transpired, Oddly Oddly was in the midst of battling a bout of tuberculosis and did not want to tax her voice too much. Yeah. Um, Yeah, TB. (laughs) Fortunately, she recovered and accepted the part. Second only to Dumbo, released in 1941, who didn't speak at all, this Disney title character has only about 18 lines of actual dialogue throughout the entire film in which she she only appears in the film for about 18 minutes, and which is actually about the three fairies who protect her, not about Sleeping Beauty herself. Briar, Briar Rose slash Aurora's first line is spoken 19 minutes into the film, 
and her last line is delivered after she learns about her betrothal 39 minutes in. However, she does sing two songs during the time frame. The very last sound she makes in the movie is when she uh, arrives at the castle and is crying about never seeing her true love again. Furthermore, despite Aurora being marketed in a pink dress for all of her merchandise, her famous, blue, uh, her famous dress is blue for six minutes, about a third of her screen time, while it is pink for only about 13 seconds in total time. Well, you know, we all know that this is because Cinderella wears blue, even though Cinderella's dress in the films are more white than mm. blue, but you know. Agreed. We can argue about that for all day. It's stupid. Yeah. Queen Lee is the first mother of a Disney princess to be alive during the film. This would not happen again until Milan in 1998, which Milan technically isn't a Disney princess. <laughs> you know what? I'm glad she's alive, not that it matters. She doesn't <laughs> say anything anyway, so. Yeah. Um, well, that that's that's kind of goes along with the last thing about how Aurora doesn't really talk. Yeah. Uh, you know, Disney, and I agree with them on this, women should just be pretty and silent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the mic... <laughs> I hope the mic picked up that slap. <laughs> yeah, I just got a nice slap on the shoulder. Also, I love all the pumpkin hair on the mic now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, he was... The, our producer pumpkin was rubbing up against the mic before, so there's a little pumpkin hair on it. Um, Walt Disney had toyed with the idea of a royal couple dancing in the clouds as a finale for both Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and Cinderella. And you even remember we had that conversation about how their castle is in the clouds and yeah. Snow White, and that led to people thinking that they were both dead. The concept finally got used in Sleeping Beauty in 1959 and was later reused in Beauty and the Beast in 1991 and The Princess and the Frog in 2009. A similar image appeared in Bongo, 19, uh, in the Bongo segment in 1947 in Fun and Fancy Free. The viewers never got to find out what gift Meriwether was meant to bestow upon the princess. Upon the princess, wisdom or compassion would have been the obvious choices, but according to the Platinum Edition DVD's commentary, her gift was going to be happiness. <laughs> compassion that would have been that would have. No, a, a ruler ha- can't have compassion. They have to be objective. <laughs> um, the spinning wheel is seen in Rapunzel's tower, entangled. The music when Aurora and Prince Philip descend the stair. Oh, I mentioned this already. Was that it was originally the royal anthem of France? Um, I said the national anthem, but the royal anthem, same thing before yeah. Napoleon, um, even after Napoleon. <laughs> but uh, Eleanor Audley, Maleficent, and Verna Felton, Flora slash uh, Queen Lee. Previously co-starred as Lady Tremaine and the Fairy Godmother in another Disney animated film that was also set in France and based off another fairy tale by Charles Pullet. Um, uh, Charles Pure. Mm, Peralt. Peralt. Thank you. I'm going to do it every time. Those damn French and my inability to, to say names. Um, in Cinderella 1950. So I, I thought that was interesting, though, that they played the antagonist and the good version in both films. And that was my final trivia note that I thought, uh, just because I enjoy this film, that I would include. Um, anything else you'd like to say about the film? Or 
No, not at all. Okay. Well, this has been the Once Again Podcast. Any questions, comments, or critiques can be addressed to our email at onceagainpod at gmail.com. Follow us on our social media accounts, Once Again Pod, all one word, on Twitter and Instagram. If you'd like to contribute to the podcast, we have several tiers available on patreon.com slash onceagainpod. As always, a like, follow, or share would be greatly appreciated. Thank you, and have a wonderful day. And remember, we will entertain you. We will always entertain you. Stiltskin always says that magic comes with a price. But for this price, you can get a nice piece of jewelry. Use code ONCEPOD for 10% off your first order at Unusual Magic Jewelry on Etsy. Click the link in the description.